in-depth journalism is more important than ever in a complicated, chaotic time. That's why we listen to NPR's Throughline. This is a podcast that appeals to us on so many levels. As history buffs, we love their historical contextualization of important ongoing issues. As storytellers, we love the engaging way they approach and often humanize complicated tales. As news consumers who want to stay informed, we love the way they give the story behind the big stories of the day. We try to take a similar approach on the murder sheet, and we feel confident that our listeners would enjoy giving NPR's Throughline a try. We've been going through their entire backlog recently, listening to them as we drive to source meetings. One favorite of mine was their episode about Andrew Johnson's impeachment. Throughline's coverage didn't disappoint, delving in depth into one of history's worst U.S. presidents. They also did an episode which is rather pertinent to our work, and that was the one they did about the proliferation of conspiracy theories and how they've always been part of America's DNA. That's something I think about quite a lot, given the creep of misinformation and manipulation in online true crime spaces. NPR's Throughline is a source we trust. They're all about nuance and depth and unpacking the messiness behind outwardly simple stories. Go back in time. Learn something new. Emerge more knowledgeable about today's headlines. Listen now to Throughline from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of murder and violence. Crime reporting, like all journalism, fundamentally boils down to answering the following questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? All of those one-word questions are very important for furthering the public's understanding of a story. But the where in particular shouldn't be overlooked. By visiting a place, a crime journalist can really provide a full 360-degree view of a specific case. They can observe a crime scene, or at the very least a building or area containing the relevant crime scene. They can better visualize how the crime may have occurred. They can observe and assess the community where the crime occurred and get a better sense of the local culture. They can meet sources who can also further contextualize what happened and the lasting impact of the crime. Reality always looks different than whatever preconceived notions you formed in your mind's eye about a place. Reality is almost always more complicated, more interesting, more nuanced. Reporting trips help to demolish incorrect assumptions, and thus the stereotyping and mistakes that can come from such a lack of first-hand knowledge. 
We've begun covering the 2022 quadruple homicide involving University of Idaho students. We provided legal analysis and discussions about the developments since the arrest of 28-year-old graduate student Brian Kohlberger. But one thing's been bothering us. Neither of us has ever been to Idaho, or Washington State for that matter. Most residents of the region could likely tell that from the fact we mispronounced some place names in our earliest coverage. We're an independent outfit without the backing of a major media company or podcast network. So while we'd be very interested in visiting Moscow, Idaho, and Pullman, Washington, a trip would require time, preparation, and some careful budgeting. So we're thrilled to have a guest who has lived in both Pullman and Moscow, with connections to Washington State University and the University of Idaho, who's lived in that area for close to 30 years. She's going to speak to the intricacies of this community and her take on the crime itself and local law enforcement. We feel this episode will be very helpful for anyone who's not from that area, who is curious about getting a more on-the-ground feel of what it's like to live there and how this horrible mass murder has affected the community. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach as we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're the Murder Sheet. And this is The University of Idaho Murders, a conversation with a cultural correspondent. Let's recap the basic facts. On November 13, 2022, University of Idaho students Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonzalez, Zana Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin were each murdered in a rental house in Moscow, Idaho. On December 30, 2022, 28-year-old Brian Koberger was arrested for the mass murder. He was apprehended in Monroe County, Pennsylvania, at his parents' home but he had in actuality been living in Pullman, Washington, while going for a Ph.D. in criminal justice at Washington State University. His trial is pending, and of course he's innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. 
When you plug Moscow and Pullman into Google Maps, you find that they're around 9.4 miles away from one another, or about a 16-minute drive. Moscow has a population of around 25,000 and is the seat of Idaho's Lataw County. Pullman is in Washington's Whitman County and has a population of around 32,000. Now let's get to our guest, Cindy Hollenbeck. She's a writer and Navy veteran who's originally from Binghamton, New York. But she's lived in what's known as the Palouse for around 30 years. According to the tourism website Explore Washington State, the Palouse is a unique geographical region that features fertile farmlands and really gorgeous rolling scenery. It spans between Idaho and Washington, and we'll note that some would also add Oregon to that list. Cindy emailed us photos to capture the feel of the place, the rolling green hills, the sprawling bucolic communities, some grabbing posters for cool events, and even a photo of her with an Idaho vandal mascot. The Palouse encompasses both Moscow and Pullman. Cindy has ties to both communities. She earned a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from the University of Idaho. She's worked in academia since 2006 and now works in communication at Washington State University. She's lived in both Moscow and Pullman and is very familiar with both cities. Cindy reached out to us to chat about the area. We felt she had the perfect description for what she's doing. She's a cultural correspondent. Here's Cindy. So I live in Pullman now. I remember being home with my son, and my ex-husband lives in Moscow. My son, we share custody. So my son goes to Moscow High School, and I just drive back and forth every other weekend to get him. And we were hanging out, and the next morning I saw something that said unconscious. It looked like it was one murder in Moscow. And I immediately uh, sent my ex-husband a message and I said, did you see there was a murder in Moscow? And he said, no. I said, how strange. And then I wrote back and I said, wait a minute, no, four murders in Moscow and they were students. I said, well, that's bizarre. And then as the news came in, and it was like four students stabbed in Moscow. My first inclination, and I think it's so weird looking retrospectively, and I talked to my kids. I have a 30-year-old daughter and a 26-year-old daughter, and they're both Moscow high school graduates because we moved to Moscow very deliberately. I wanted to go to the University of Idaho because they have an amazing Master of Fine Arts in creative writing. They have amazing professors there that their their Master of Fine Arts program might not be as high profile as like University of Oregon, but it's very high profile. It's low cost. They have a low cost of living. And Moscow, Idaho has one of the best public school programs in the whole state of Idaho. So Joseph Scott Morgan, who's this forensic mastermind, says no one goes to Moscow by accident. It's a very purposeful place to go. And he's right. And um, I'll talk about that later. But my first inclination was, holy cow, who in the heck would ever go to Moscow to commit some kind of murder like this? Specifically, she imagined a murderer clad in black, like something out of the Scream horror franchise. Those were just thoughts that popped into her head. Interestingly enough, the Scream movies were inspired in part by serial killer Danny Rowling. Rowling killed five students from Santa Fe College and the University of Florida 
in Gainesville, Florida in 1990. He's often referred to as the Gainesville Ripper. Anyways, Cindy told us she began consuming media about the case and tuning into comments from Moscow police chief James Fry. And then once the news started coming out, I was freaked out. And I live in Pullman, but I drive to Moscow all the time. And I started feeling like every time I drove to Moscow, I got a little bit panicked. And then I just started watching absolutely everything. I got all of the news releases that came out of Moscow PD, watched James Fry talking, and it was just the oddest thing because, you know, the last murder that they had in Moscow, they knew immediately who he was. The murders that Cindy is referring to occurred in 2015. A man named John Lee went on a shooting spree, according to news station KXLY. Lee murdered his landlord, David Trail, and wounded another man named Michael Chen. Then, the gunman went to the local Arby's and asked for a manager. When manager Belinda Niebuhr came out to meet him, he shot and killed her, despite her attempts to escape through the drive through window. Later, he murdered his adoptive mother, Terry Grubelski. He was sentenced to life in prison for his crimes. Like Cindy said... Lee's shooting rampage, while terrifying for the community and devastating for the families of the victims, was quite unlike the 2022 murders. Lee was out in the open and made no attempts to conceal his identity. In the King Road slayings, the public spent weeks wondering who the suspect could be and whether or not police had any solid leads. Now let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Mysteries are at the heart of everything we do here on The Murder Sheet. But sometimes it's more fun to dive into a fictional caper. That's why we love the free-to-download hidden object game, June's Journey. This game is our daily escape from waiting around in line, getting stuck on hold, and just general doldrums. It is great to be able to just knock out a few levels here and there. You'll get to discover your inner sleuth and sharpen your observational skills by finding clues hidden in each level. Plus, it's like dropping straight into your own cozy mystery novel. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective with a nose for trouble. You get to tackle all kinds of bizarre crimes across a series of elegant and memorable locales. Also, you have a side hustle decorating your own island estate. I love that. I bought a swan pond. She really did. Download this game for a built-in work break. It's a great mental health boost that makes you feel accomplished before you get back to tackling whatever task you have at hand. And remember, when you support our advertisers, you're supporting our show. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash ad free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This was somebody who they did not know who the person was. And Moscow is incredibly safe. And when they say that, it's like it's not a joke. You don't lock your doors. Everybody in that community knows everybody, even though it's not a 1,200-person town. You can't go anywhere in town without knowing someone. So it, it was just absolutely devastating. We asked Cindy to describe the Moscow community before the murders. I'm really glad you asked because one of the things that I really wanted to communicate to people, it was really interesting that all three of those specials on Idaho murders dropped the same weekend. Dateline, 48 Hours, and 2020 all did a show on the murders the same weekend. And, of course, I watched all three. (laughs) Dateline and 48 Hours did what I would call the 30,000-foot view. It was as if someone took a drone, looked down at the town, and said, these murders happened. Whereas, if you get a chance, if if you guys haven't watched, I thought the 2020 version was a lot more thorough. And if you haven't watched it, I'm going to kind of, I'll tell you from a very personal standpoint. So what we have here is called the Palouse region. Okay. The Palouse region, National Geographic once described this place as, a, I think they call it something along the lines of a paradise. Now in the summertime, if you get a, a look of what it is here, it's these amazing just vistas that almost look like Ireland. It's just so green and beautiful. And you can look out for miles of rolling hills. And you drive anywhere, and it's just vast, and it's gorgeous. And, and then in the fall, it's golden. You know, like we produce tons of wheat for, I think, I'm not sure if it's the entire nation or if we even export wheat to the world, but it's just beautiful. We also produce 99% of the grapes in the whole state of Washington. So, you know, lots of agriculture here. Washington State University is the land-grant institution for the state of Washington, and University of Idaho is the land-grant institution for the state of Idaho. So they're both land-grant institutions, and if you don't know about land-grant institutions, back when they both were started, I know that Washington State was 1890. The University of Idaho was formed in 1889 and opened up in 1892. They were built to offer access to people who didn't usually go to college. So, you know, it was a good thing. So anyway, the Palouse is a region that invites people because it's just so gorgeous. So when you have two universities within a seven to eight to nine mile radius, you have just an influx of young people coming in all the time. And for me personally, I've been working at WSU for 10 years. Six of that has been at the graduate school. 
four of that was working for the WSU Foundation uh, in donor relations. And then three of that, I worked at the University of Idaho College of Law, which was an amazing experience. And for me personally, it just keeps me young to constantly see this influx of young people. I've always worked in student recruitment. So I've got to interview students like, where are you from? I'm from a town with 50 people. You know, we don't even have our own post office. Well, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm working on how to make paint that is not going to be harmful for the environment with, you know, et cetera, et cetera, plastics that are this. And I'm going to, uh, I'm from Guam. And my entire life, I've just wanted to go to New York City and be just like the girl from The Devil Wears Prada. Like these people, these 18-year-olds with all this unbelievable energy and intelligence with bubbly personalities come here to do this amazing stuff. So that's what's infused here. And the big difference between Idaho, or I'm, I'm sorry, Moscow and Pullman is this. Moscow is this eclectic community where they have amazing restaurants. They have this place called tie-dye everything. They have an amazing farmer's market that runs from May through October. They have hemp fest. They have jazz fest. They have a Renaissance fair every year. It's very, very culturally eclectic and then they also have this very strange relationship where there's a very liberal pocket of people in Moscow and then there's a very right Christian base and somehow they manage to live mostly in harmony and then you come over to Pullman and Pullman is just not like that Pullman has a very small downtown area and so people who go to WSU do go over to Moscow all the time. Moscow has a little shopping mall. I mean, it's funny. If you grew up anywhere with a real mall, you would laugh at Moscow's mall. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you would. Um, but they're trying to make it bigger. They have now, they have an old Navy, and they have a Bed Bath & Beyond, and they got a Target and stuff. So Moscow is the place to be, like, even if you go to WSU, everyone goes over to Moscow. And if you come to Moscow, if you don't visit the corner club, then you have wasted your entire time. Like, you need to go to the corner club. Founded in 1948, the corner club is a well-loved local bar. The bar's website features photos of many different groups posing in front of the establishment, beneath the club's old-fashioned neon sign. Sadly... The Corner Club also made an appearance in the timeline leading up to the quadruple homicide. Madison Mogan and Kaylee Gonsalves arrived at the club around 10 p.m. on November 12, 2022. They left the Corner Club a few hours later, around 1.30 a.m. The two friends stopped at the Grub Truck food truck and got a ride from what police have termed as a private party, arriving back at their residence at 1.56 a.m. We asked Cindy to share more about Moscow's nightlife in general. You can kind of set your watch to it. I'm glad you asked. So here's what it's like. If you live there and you work, Monday night, you know, you might probably just hang out at home. 
Tuesday night, maybe hang out at home. Thursday night is when everything starts and you're out until Sunday. You know, it's really interesting. Now for the college students. So my daughter, God, God love her. She was so into frat life, but she never could get through college. Um, and now she, she goes to Portland State University. God bless her. You guys are going to love this. She is going into social work. And she is getting an internship right now at a domestic abuse shelter for trans women. Like, that's, I mean, I just find it amazing. But the reason, and I, I'm going to follow up, Kevin. So there was a time where she had to leave Portland because she was in a domestically abusive relationship. I had to drive over there. It's a six-hour drive from here and get her because her dumb boyfriend had gone to jail. So she came back here. I think she was 23, which is when everyone else was graduating from University of Idaho, all of her friends. She was not, but she was hanging out with them all the time at what they call Fratlantis. And you would hear that if you watch the 2020 um, episode, because that is where all these young people, God bless them, um, the victims, they all hung out and that area was called Fratlantis. And my daughter said, I can't believe they said that on television. <laughs> but the nightlife for them, every night is basically corner club. And my daughter would take me to the corner club. And it was so packed every single night. And I was like, how can you take this? You know, because I was in my 40s. And she said, I love it. So that's the nightlife for them. But for people like in their 40s, which I was at the time, it's like they have this amazing Italian restaurant downtown called Maialina, and I'm Italian, and it smells like Italy when you walk in there. Like the woman who runs the place actually went to Naples, learned how to make real Neapolitan crust, and it's amazing. And everything's organic. It's all locally grown. Like Moscow is you guys need to come out here, and when you do, let me know because I'll show you around. Okay, <laughs> we definitely will. We'd like to, yeah. ideally, uh, to kind of get that inside feel, and and you know, I think better our journalism, <laughs> frankly, because if, if oh. it's one thing to hear it described, but it sounds like such a nice town too. It's just such an awful shame that this happened to these kids, and then just you know, the community. I, I imagine, I imagine this is really been a very traumatic experience for the community as a whole, the students and the people who live there. Well, it is. And I told my daughter, I said, can you believe that we have to actually, as much Dateline as we watch, that you would ever think, pardon my French, that we see our ethnic community on Dateline? She said no. And it's been very traumatic for my daughter. Like, my daughter, she moved away because it's really hard to grow up somewhere and then have to be an adult there. Yes. Like, she wanted to spread her wings. But anyway, going back to Kevin's question. So, um... They have the Maialina Italian restaurant. They have this great place called One World Cafe. It's got the best coffee in town. I absolutely love it. And I do want to tell you that, like, when they passed the gay marriage ordinance, there's this um, lesbian couple who owns a place called Eclectica. They have been together, oh, I think it's 27 years. And they were the very first couple in town. I mean, they, I mean, the town is so small. It's a four mile perimeter. When I used to run, 
sometimes I would run the perimeter and be like, I love this town. They were the very first couple, and they ran down to the courthouse. They're like, ordinance passed. We're getting married. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this town, when, when I was saying about the, we have this place called the Doug Williams Church. You can Google them. They're, they're super right, and they want to buy up a bunch of property and kind of own the town. But we've got the, the very open progressive left and like I said mostly live in harmony together sometimes it gets a little touchy but it's like Moscow that's what makes Moscow so unbelievably interesting is that how do you have these two divergent cultures living in this town but they somehow they do you know um, so you've got this school called, called the Logos L-O-G-O-S school or Logos, whatever you want to say. And they have their own school, their own church. And you would never find like one of the progressive, like uh, Moscow folks going to that school, but you wouldn't find the Logos people going probably to Hempfest. Like it's, it's super interesting. Cindy also had some thoughts on the media's emphasis of certain aspects of the story, namely Greek life. All four of the victims participated in Greek life on campus. Kaylee Gonzalez was a member of the Alpha Phi sorority. Zana Kernodal and Madison Mogan were members of Pi Beta Phi. Ethan Chapin joined the Sigma Chi fraternity. On the last night of their lives, Chapin and Kernodal attended a party at the Sigma Chi house. According to the University of Idaho's fraternity and sorority life webpage, the school is home to 34 recognized sororities and fraternities. 23% of the students at the school belong to a Greek organization. Cindy noted that while the sororities and fraternities are an important part of campus, the intense focus on Greek life and media coverage is not necessarily representative of the diversity of experience for different students and townspeople. The reason I bring this up is because whenever they show that little neighborhood, I was always like, there's a, even though Moscow's small, there's an entire other area that they never show. Like, they never show the professors' houses. I remember when they first started showing it, they were like, I bet they don't have Wi-Fi. I bet no one has ring cameras. And I was like, you guys are showing one house that's off campus, and it's these young people that are just starting out in school. As an example... Cindy also noted that the murder victims themselves participated in other activities as well. Mogan and Kernodal were servers at the Mad Greek restaurant locally. Gonsalves was preparing to graduate early and had a job lined up in Austin, Texas. Chapin loved sports and enjoyed intramurals at the university. Cindy noted that the news cannot show everything and that the media will tend to focus on topics considered possibly relevant to the crime. But at the same time, she says that this can potentially give outsiders a somewhat limited view of Moscow as a generic college town. Moscow's certainly more than that. It's also home to the annual Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival, a large and prominent jazz festival named for the famed band leader Lionel Hampton. There's a Moscow Hempfest and a Renaissance Fair and plenty of lovely neighborhood parks. 
In other words, it's a place with a lot of unique goings-on. It's also a bit more diverse than outsiders might suspect. Cindy noted that there is a substantial Nigerian population locally. She says that in downtown Moscow, one can often overhear all sorts of languages being spoken. Two of her dearest friends in Moscow, a couple, the godparents of her son, are from Tanzania and Rwanda, respectively. She says that Moscow draws in people from all over the world because of the University of Idaho. According to the United States Census Bureau, Moscow was 88% white in 2021, compared to Idaho's overall population, which is 92.8% white. Cindy also shared more about the differences between Moscow and Pullman, despite their close proximity, along with her impressions of well-known businesses like the Corner Club. And then in Pullman, they have like a place called My Office, which is like, that's their probably corner club with, uh, it's got dartboards and amazing food. But like the corner club is where the college kids go. And if you're a college student in Moscow, you're either a garden, which the garden's not there anymore, but there used to be a bar called the garden. You were either a garden college student or you were a corner club college student. And the garden was for kind of the, I mean, when I was in grad school in Moscow, <laughs> I, I remember one night very specifically going in late because I already had a family. And I said to the bartender, um, hey, have you seen like a crowd of like really sloppy, loud wine drinkers talking about Shakespeare? And he kind of frowned and pointed downstairs. And there were my, you know, that was my cohort of, you know, lit poetry and, you know, other English majors. And so that's kind of what it's like. And so when I watched that 2020 special, what I really appreciated was they actually had one of the reporters walking down the street in Moscow showing you just how amazing of a place that it is. And when I talked about how they have um, the closeness and the, you know, the tightness of the community, Moscow also has a food co-op that has grown from this tiny little grocery store into a very profitable entity. And people go back and forth between WSU and um, U of I, but really Moscow's kind of the center. Most people who live here work either at University of Idaho, WSU, and then there's also an engineering plant called Schweitzer Engineering, and that's largely for people who are really into engineering and they have a manufacturing plant inside. That's basically the three most, where most of the employees work. You mentioned, I, w- I was wondering if we could expand upon, and I love the description you've given of Moscow as this kind of like bit of a hub, right? Um, right. And, and there being a lot of interchange between people from Pullman going to Moscow. Would there be people from Moscow going to Pullman or is it really more of they're drawing everybody in? It really is not. And I'll, and I'll give you a great example. So I went to Lewis Park State College to get my bachelor's degree. Lewis Park State College is 45 minutes away. That's where Koberger drove when they talked about him going to Albertson. As a reminder, in the probable cause affidavit for Koberger's arrest, police say Koberger parked outside the Albertsons at 400 Bridge Street in Clarkston, Washington. He exited the car at 12.49 p.m. and headed into the store to buy, quote, 
unknown items at the checkout. That was on November 13, 2022. Police say the murders happened earlier that day, likely between 4 and 4.25 a.m. I had heard a couple of people kind of make a mistake by saying he went to Albertsons in Pullman. There is no Albertsons in Pullman. Pullman has a Walmart, a super Walmart. And just to give you an inclination of how left Moscow is, Moscow fought tooth and nail to keep the super Walmart out of Moscow. They, they would not have a super Walmart in Moscow. So we have a super Walmart in Pullman. And there is a super Walmart in Clarkston, Washington, which is down that hill. There is an Albertsons in Clarkston. That's where Kohlberger went when they were talking about him taking that long ride. So anyway, there is a state college in Lewiston, Idaho. And that is where I went to college. And after college, I went to graduate school at a place called Western Washington, which is on the west side in Bellingham, which is an hour and a half north of Seattle. Well, after that, I had a chance to go to either University of Oregon, super high profile to get my MFA, or a chance to go to University of Idaho and get an MFA. And I chose, I chose Moscow. <laughs> um, because Moscow is just such an amazing town. So we live in Moscow, going there and whatever. And one day I said to my daughters, you know what? Let's do something different today. Let's go to downtown Pullman and just go spend the afternoon there. I think we were there for 15 minutes. Because there's just not a downtown to really venture. And, and I'll just tell you what's there right now. So I live in Pullman. But when I sold my house in Moscow... I could not find another place in Moscow. They're just so highly sought after. So I ended up buying a tiny little place in Pullman. But if you go downtown in Pullman, there is a few, I think there's two vintage stores. There are a couple of restaurants. There's like a a pizza perfection. There's a little ramen store where you can get ramen noodles. There is two WSU satellites places, one for the president, one for the foundation. There's a couple coffee places, a couple places went out of business after COVID. There's a post office. Yeah, there's one or two places that you can get your car fixed. There's a really great place called South Fork, which is owned by a WSU alumni and alumni on both sides, University of Idaho and um, WSU. The alumni base in both of these areas is huge because if you go anywhere and you're wearing a um, red Coug shirt, I mean, you can be anywhere. You could be in Ecuador and see somebody with a Coug shirt and someone will say to you, go Cougs. Like it's a very, very strong alumni base. Washington State University's mascot is Butch the Cougar. The school's colors are crimson and gray. The University of Idaho sports teams are called the Vandals, and their colors are silver and gold. There's definitely a strong alumni base in both areas, but there's just not a lot to do in downtown Pullman, and that is why people will go over to Moscow. And I know one of the news outlets talked about somebody asking Mr. Koberger, and, you know, I don't know if this is conjecture, 
and you two may have heard of it, but somebody said, why would you go to Moscow all the time? And he said, there's better shopping. And someone made a, made some conjecture about, oh, what did he mean? You know, shopping for women. And I think a lot of us got very upset about that because we, we said, you're reading a little too much into it. The report Cindy is referencing came from News Nation on January 4th, 2023. A source told the news outlet about Koberger's time in a Pennsylvania jail as he waited to be extradited to Idaho. According to the anonymous source, Koberger was asked why he visited Moscow, Idaho. He reportedly replied, the shopping is better in Idaho. We next asked Cindy about WSU's Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology. Let's take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. You got a dead body, Inspector. I may be able to help with that. This winter, all your favorite detectives are streaming on BritBox. Don't miss exclusive new seasons of Death in Paradise. There must be something we've missed. Vera. It wasn't an accident, was it, love? Father Brown. What did he look like? And more. Once you start investigating, you won't want to stop. We're done when I say we're done. Stream your favorite detectives only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Koberger was a graduate student in that department. We wanted to know her impressions of the department's reputation. An exclusive report from News Nation's Ashley Banfield, based on a termination letter the news station obtained, indicated that Koberger had been terminated from his role as a teaching assistant. What's really interesting is a lot of people keep asking, why would he go from where he is to WSU? When I'm on a YouTube channel because I'm on a lot of YouTube channels and watching those chats and dispelling anything I can about this area, we have an amazing criminology department. Cindy told us about how she recalls reading up on the department about a year ago before the murders happened. So I'm in charge of something that's called the degree program database. And there's all these fact sheets that tell you who's up and who's down as far as applications and whatever. And I always look to see like, what can I promote as we're, you know, getting to recruitment season? I was like, wow, our criminology department is really great. And it was like one of the top, I'm not going to get the statistic right because I'm not at work, but like, like one of the top ones nationwide, like in, in a certain percentage. I was like, that's really cool. So then all of this happens, 
And then I'm on YouTube and I'm looking in these chats and everyone's like, why did he choose WSU? Why did he choose WSU? And this is, what do they call that? Confirmation bias, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like when they show his photo after arrest and they're like, oh, he has, you know, bundy eyes. And I'm like, that's confirmation bias. You probably wouldn't have said that if this didn't happen. And so when they're saying things like, why did he choose WSU? Was he looking already, you know, six months in advance to go there to do this? I'm like, oh, my gosh, maybe before when he was choosing graduate schools, maybe he was looking at what graduate schools had a great program and he noticed. I mean, this is just me coming at it from trying to be as objective as possible. We happen to have a really good program. And I don't know other good programs in the country because I work here. <laughs> you know exactly, and like as yeah. you said, confirmation bias. It's it's usually the boring answer, right? I mean, in our in our view, it's often you know it was a good program and he got in, uh, as opposed right. to you know everything's a grand scheme. That's obviously much rarer, and obviously, if evidence to that effect comes out, great. But until then, maybe the boring answer is probably the one that's a little more likely. Um, Absolutely, and nobody wants boring, right? They nobody wanna, wants boring. They want, right? They want dramatic. Over the course of 2022 and 2023, the murder of the four University of Idaho students became one of the most followed crime stories in the United States. We were curious to get Cindy's opinion on the area's current view of the media around this case. In our experience, most professional journalists strive to be respectful, but constant coverage can be overwhelming for people unused to such scrutiny on their community. I am on Twitter a lot more than I used to be. I I used to not pay too much attention, but people have been very pleased with Brian Enton and Anjanette Levy. And I will say just from a personal standpoint, from, from what I have seen, they have both handled this with an enormous amount of respect and empathy. Um, However, and I have, I actually have a friend who lives, I won't give away exactly, but I have a friend who lives incredibly close to the, to the King Road residence. And um, it was impossible for her to have any peace when this first broke. If you've ever seen how incredibly small that little area is, and if you imagine cars just consistently being in that area and trying to live, it was impossible for some people to have peace. It, it, it's been, it, it was very, very overwhelming and, and difficult. No, from certain people's standpoint, but from a reporting aspect, lots of good things to say about Brian and Anjanette. We also wanted to know about the reaction in Pullman after it became clear that the suspect was tied to WSU. Other than like a little bit of disappointment, from some of the folks that I've talked to. I mean, obviously at first I think we were like, really? You know, because and and I I talked about this before. Just I think we we're like, oh, because I think with the Idaho police, Moscow police, I'm sorry, keeping it so close. And God bless them for their unbelievable poker faces, right? Yeah. <laughs> because I just had no idea. My entire, the entire time I really thought 
um, that it was, okay, after my initial thought, as I said at the beginning, I for sure thought it was somebody from Idaho. You know, maybe not a student, maybe not a track guy, but I just was very surprised. And to be honest with you, I don't have a lot of people who are interested in true crime the way that I am. And so I couldn't really get a lot out of folks. <laughs> so just from what I've been able to see and from a few people I have talked to, it, it's mostly kind of some disappointment. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure how much you've paid attention um, to any of the local news that has been shown here, but it was just kind of like, like what you would expect. It was like, really? After authorities in Idaho released the probable cause affidavit for Koberger's arrest, many commentators and observers noted that Washington and Idaho authorities, along with federal agencies like the Federal Bureau of Investigation, seemed to be working cohesively. Actually, I was pleasantly surprised because I've always thought of Washington as being a lot more strict. And I'll just say that um, I have a friend who is an Idaho lawyer and I don't know other than, well, I, I know one Washington lawyer, but she has retired now. In Washington, they're very strict about, um, just more strict about certain things. Like in the state of Washington, there are just small things like you do not want to run an orange light. You know what I mean? Like if that light's turning yellow, stop. <laughs> you, you know, um, make sure that your tags are up to date. Do not drive under the influence. And this is not to say, this is not to say that you can do those things in Idaho. It's just to say Washington State is one of those places where you pay a little bit more for getting your tags renewed, pay a little bit more for a fishing license. But I, I don't know, I just want to say like I've lived in both states at different times, a lot longer in Idaho than in Washington. But it's, it's just something like they just don't mess around. Uh, by watching all the um, the news and I was getting all the updates and watching Idaho um, Moscow police with their poker faces and telling us we don't have suspects and we're looking for this car. And then, you know, watching all of this recently, I was actually delighted. And I'm guessing because we are so close. Like, it's no lie, but there's a path that joins Moscow and Pullman. You can walk it or you can bike, bike it, and a lot of people will do that. It joins the two towns. And, you know, when, um, when I lived in Moscow, I would drive over to WSU for work, and, you know, it's literally like 15 minutes, you know, on a good day. So the fact that they're so close and they can cross over the towns really easily, even though it's a state line, I was pleasantly surprised. And it, and it, it doesn't surprise me. But in a way, it surprises me. It's like, oh, that's really cool that they're doing that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's great. I think everybody here, because of the fact that it happened in Idaho, but he was living here, I feel like there's this real sense of camaraderie. And we all live here. This is our Palouse. And you aren't even from here. And you came here and you did this. Justice is going to be served. This is not how we do things here, dude. We asked Cindy what she made of what we characterized as some pessimism in the case when it was not solved immediately. I was kind of watching new true crime people that I had never paid attention to before. 
And I was very hopeful and very trusting of the Moscow police. And Brett Payne, a couple of years ago, there was an issue with one of my kids. And Brett, Brett was the person who showed up. And he was so unbelievably empathetic, great communicator. I found out recently that he was an English major. So he wins huge points with me now. No wonder the affidavit was so good. <laughs> I left that interaction feeling just great. You know, when you grow up in a place where you might be afraid of the police <laughs> and then you move to a smaller town and I just had such an overwhelming sense of like that that's a really good cop. We were not able to confirm that Payne was an English major, but a 2010 article from the Idaho Spokesman by reporter Chris D'Angelo about a wolf hunt indicates Payne went to the University of Idaho. We'll note that Payne's professional experience, or perceived lack thereof, became a minor controversy in the case at one point. The Consalves family's lawyer even highlighted in press interviews that Payne only had two years of experience. Just to throw in our two cents, people tend to talk a lot about detectives' experience in homicide cases. And that's understandable. If it's a complicated homicide investigation, you tend to want an experienced detective with a track record of success rather than a rookie. That being said, in a city like Moscow, it's hard to believe anyone would have the experience necessary for a highly unusual mass homicide. It's just not going to have the same type of police force as a larger metropolitan area with more homicides. Also, We'll note that an investigator coming in with confirmation bias is a problem that can be worsened with experience. You can be experienced and get entrenched or get blinders on, and you can also be relatively new and well-suited to a case. We actually don't think it's so clear-cut that more years always equals better policing, and we think that this is an issue that should require a bit more nuance from commentators. All of that being said, at some point in December 2022, Cindy started to worry. We imagine many residents of this area were in the same state of mind. And the next day, my daughter sent me a message and she said, we've gotten arrest. And I said, what? And then she said, yeah. And then um, it was all over the news. And I was like, you're kidding. And I was actually kind of, um, I was kind of protecting myself. I was like, oh, probably not really the person. It's probably just what they think. And then when I saw Chief Fry, and you could hear the emotion in his voice, and you could hear how the way he the way he spoke the suspect's voice with such conviction, and I realized he's a suspect, and we have all this work that still needs to be done. I was just like, wow. So I never really lost faith. But probably like lots of people, there were times I would drive from work to home and watch the shows and just kind of, God, this really sucks. Like these poor young people, these poor families. And then I would imagine what happened in that house. And I would just get so upset and just be like, how could anybody do this? We would like to say here that we're very grateful that Cindy with her 30 years of experience living in the Palouse and her connections with Moscow, the University of Idaho, Pullman, and Washington State University, 
was willing to share all of that with us. Her passion and love for these places really shines through, we feel. We concluded our interview in our customary fashion by asking her if there's anything we did not ask about that she wanted to mention. So I don't have a question. It's more like just a comment and kind of a compliment that when I watch or when I listen to your show, I'm like, gosh, you guys teach me so much. I feel like I'm getting the defense attorney side of it without arguing with you guys. Like, I feel like I'm like, oh, my God. Yes, that's correct. Like, oh, my gosh, I thought it. I never thought of it that way, but I'm not arguing with you. I'm like, oh, that's a great way to, to see it. So I just want to tell you, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. That's very nice for you to say. I really appreciate that. That means a lot. Some people have told Cindy that they feel this crime defines Moscow and the whole region now. She agrees that the tragedy and the four young lives it claimed should be remembered. But she disagrees that Moscow's legacy will be one of darkness and sorrow. Yeah, if if anything, it just shows you that any single place on the planet can have a horrible crime happen there and that we all need to lock our doors wherever you live. If you have a tip related to the University of Idaho murders, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Murder Sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet Discussion Group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening.